Their blind eyes see nothing of the horrors to come. Their ears are stopped. They are the gods' fools. Well, that's how it works. Cleanse them. Cleanse the world of their ignorance and sin. Bathe them in the crimson of... Am I on speakerphone? No, absolutely not. Speakerphone, no. No, I wouldn't do that. Yes, I am. I, I can hear the echo. Oh, my God. You, uh, you're right. Hang on one second. I'll take you off. That's rude. I, I don't know who's in the room. Fine. There. You're off. Thank you. Don't take this lightly, boy. It wasn't all by your numbers. The fool nearly derailed the invocation with his insolence. The ancient ones see everything, and they will not be... I'm still on speakerphone, aren't I? <laughs> Believe it, it did it again. <laughs> Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following program contains violence, disturbing imagery, nudity, and, oh my god, why are you even watching this? Just run away. This shit is going to give you nightmares. For real. Nightmares where you are running naked on a treadmill made of razor blades, and your third grade teacher is pointing and laughing at you. When worlds collide, it's an all-out apocalypse. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Or it could just be the newest episode of the Next Level Network production, the podcast known as What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I am your host, Paul Williams. This week, we're traveling to the hillside to a small plot in the world. A little getaway, if you will. This week, we travel to a cabin in the woods. And in just a moment, I'll be joined by my guest for the week. Good friend of mine, fellow podcaster from the world of pop culture. It's a little podcast known as Free Your Geek. And my guest this week is the man they call Jay Free. Uh, Jeff Cassetta will be joining me very shortly. Uh, before that, however, just wanted to give a quick, uh, it's like a two-minute report on the event that was the uh, 2018 convention in London, Ontario. Shockstock. So this uh, this past weekend, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Saturday. Saturday I went to, uh, took a drive down to London, Ontario. Uh, they had a small convention going on at their Ramada Inn, and uh, it was a lot of fun, actually. 
I can now say that I have officially met Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Michael Myers. Yay, me! No. Um, yeah, so this past weekend, Kane Hodder and Tony Moran were both at Shockstock, so I was able to meet both of them. Uh, really, uh, really down-to-earth guys. Very nice. Uh, I got autographs by both of them, pictures with both of them. I posted some of the pictures on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash whatlurksbehindpodcastzero, if you guys want to go check them out. Uh, there was some cool uh, artifacts that I got little uh, snapshots of and whatnot. There was a shit ton of movies there. Oh, my God, I was in heaven. Uh, a lot that uh, I don't already own. I was looking kind of at VHS tapes, but I didn't feel uh, very comfortable with some of them. So as much as they had, like, they had a really cool uh, Christmas Evil VHS tape that I was really kind of eyeing, but the cover looked like it had just seen its day, and I was like, ah, I don't want to take the chance. But it was sweet. It was one of the old, like the older covers and whatnot. It, it looked very much like the uh, the cover that um, I originally had seen when I first saw that movie way back when, uh, renting it at the old VHS stores. Those things that are now obsolete. I'd love to, you know, I, I I wish in my hometown here we had a VHS store still, but whatever. Um, no, that it was really cool though, meeting Kane Hodder. Uh, Tony Moran is uh, quite the fucking trip. And uh, but the the I think one of the highlights for my weekend was meeting Lloyd Kaufman. That dude is something else. Oh, he was awesome. So uh, personable, and you know, not afraid to. Fuck, the dude was walking around the whole convention, shaking hands, talking with people, taking funny pictures with them. I uh, I picked up the Japanese cut of Toxic Avenger, and he like took the cover out and signed it and whatnot. No charge, you know, just just going around having fun with people and whatnot. It's really fucking cool of him, and I mean, he was super fun. He wrote on my DVD "Too Pretty Paul." I thought that was kind of interesting but i i got a good laugh out of it it was fun and then you know pulls me over he's like come have a picture with me and my team and he was really cool honestly if you ever get a chance to meet lloyd kaufman do it because uh it's it's an experience all on its own but uh not i mean it was a small convention very um very well handled i mean the, the staff that took care of it they were all very pleasant. Um, they had it in two rooms. The only thing was was the rooms were kind of apart from each other. So you went into one room and then you had to walk like down like several hallways to get to the other room. So that might have been my slight complaint. But I mean, other than that, everything was laid out nicely. A lot of room. Um, and, and that's saying something because, you know, there was a lot of people there and you could still pretty much move around without any problems. A couple times it got a little congested, but nothing crazy, you know, so. It was a great experience. I will definitely be going next year for sure. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what guests they'll get next year. But um, I got to say, like, the vendors, too. And everybody had something that was interesting. I could have easily blown a couple thousand there. <laughs> I had to budget myself. But, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was great, and I just wanted to quickly give my report on that and not to mention uh brink stevens was there i got to talk to her briefly uh james duvall uh, you probably know him from independence day uh, i'm trying to think uh gone in 60 seconds he was in that 
Uh, he was in an um, indie film back in the 90s. 90s, early 2000s. I think it was late 90s, actually. Um, uh, Greg Araki's Nowhere. Really fucking weird movie. All-star cast. There was, like, you know, a whole bunch of celebrities in it and whatnot. Like, Christine Applegate's in it. Uh, Balthasar Getty's in it. And there's a whole bunch of names that I'm just not thinking at the moment. But... <laughs> uh, Really fucking weird movie, though. It was interesting, though. I enjoyed it. But anyways, he was in that. Um, uh, Lar Park uh, Lincoln from House 2 and I want to say the 7th, Friday the 13th. She was there. Uh, it, and every single one of the guests was very, like, pleasant. Like, even if you weren't getting an autograph with them or whatever, like, you just walk by. They're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And, you know, they were walking around and stuff. People, like, taking selfies with you know, fans and whatnot. So, very, very, um, very well put together event. I was quite impressed. And like I say, I'll definitely be going next year. But now, uh, because of the length of time that Jeff and I spent talking about everything we could fit into one episode, I'm avoiding news and films I've watched the past week. Uh, that one, both segments will be back next week. Don't worry about that. But uh, it's time to get our hands dirty and go play in the world of Whedon and Thor. Trust me, you'll get that reference in a bit. Uh, well, most of you know. Chris Hemsworth is in this fucking movie. And with Infinity War being the big talk, yes, it came up. We talked about it for about maybe five, ten minutes or so. Uh, <laughs> recommendation of the week. Go see fucking Infinity War. Uh and uh, actually, I'm going to throw one more recommendation in there. There's a film from, I believe it was 2013, called 88. Check it out. Really good movie. Uh, Catherine Isabel and Christopher Lloyd are in it. And um, I just checked it out this morning. It is actually really good. Um, IMDb gives it a 5 out of 10. I put it at about a 7. It's eventually going to be an episode on this show, but um, I was really impressed. Not so much horror. It's kind of... Uh, weird twist and whatnot. Um, I guess it deals with like uh, the idea of people being in a fugue state and it explains the whole thing throughout the film and whatnot. It was really good though. So um, yeah, that's my recommendation of the week. We'll keep that segment. <laughs> uh, anyways, we're, uh, we're going to jump into this. Uh, it's time to go camping in a campy style at the cabin in the woods. Uh, going to let Rob do his thing and then I'm going to drop the trailer and then you get to enjoy the conversation that was had between myself and my great friend and special guest this week, uh, Jeff Cassetta. Back in a moment. Hey, everybody. This is Rob from the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods and DC Primetime. And I'm here to tell you something that you should definitely be doing if you haven't done so already. And that is heading over to www.nextlevelradioonline.com. There's a ton of other great podcasts on the network if you haven't checked them out already, such as From Panels to Pixels, Two Fat Dudes, What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero, uh, an upcoming Lost Revisited podcast, uh, in addition to our flagship show, The Showcast Spotlight, which is about to probably get ready to kick off its brand new season of celebrity interviews. Great shows like The Melting Pat, Primetime Fantasy Football, and Con Talk. So whatever your interest is, there's definitely something for you at Next Level Radio Online. Make sure to check them out, like them, review them, share. Thank you guys so much for all of your years of support. Now, back to the show. Everybody ready? Oh. Oh. 
Welcome back, everyone, to What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And as I stated in the intro, my guest is with me right now as we will be discussing the film The Cabin in the Woods. Uh, He is no stranger to podcasting, much like my guest last week. No stranger to podcasting at all. This guy knows what he's doing. He's been uh, doing a show, uh, Free Your Geek. It's a great podcast. They know a lot of their stuff. They know their Marvel stuff a lot better than I do. Uh, and just an all around, it, it's a great podcast and it is my absolute pleasure to have Jay free or Jeff from free or geek. Join me on the show today. Uh, welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this opportunity too. Um, I know we've been a big fan of each other's shows for a while. I've mm-hmm. been a fan of yours all the way since, uh, the bats, bows and books podcast. And, you know, now, now what lurks behind as well is just two, two amazing shows that you're doing here and i just uh i've been a big fan for a while thank you thank you especially uh if you've been a fan since like that episode one from bats bows and books that was pretty uh horrific but uh (laughs) it's funny it's it's funny with podcasting you know you start off and as the years go on you go back to those original episodes and you don't realize how far you've come since that first time you know and i it's weird because like I I don't know if you do the same as I do. I usually tend to go back and listen to my own episodes just to see like you know where I could improve things or things that I like and whatnot. And when I listen to that very first episode, it makes me want to cry. I I kind of I totally agree with that. I I get to the point where I listen back to some of my old episodes. Um, I had a well, I still have a co-host, but KB, who's my co-host on the show, yeah. I would listen back and I'd listen to any time where we talk over each other. Or, you know, throw in the words, um, or, uh, and just, Oh, I still I, do that to this day. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> as, as do I, I just, I just try to, uh, to, to kind of, I'm more cognizant of it and more yep. aware. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun to go back and, and listen to some of your older stuff and just see like how you've progressed, you know, as you mentioned during the intro, we're, we're kind of doing live streaming video now, in addition to an audio podcast, when we first started, we were just audio. So it's easier for me to edit. And, and as we were talking a little mm-hmm. offline, you kind of uh, operate without a net when you're doing live streaming. So it's a little bit different. You kind of have to just roll with it, you know? Oh, I know. I know. I, I haven't gotten to the live streaming stuff yet, but I know like for audio alone, I do like the fact that I can edit, especially like, I don't know if you've, I think you've done a few episodes that were like strictly by yourself or whatnot. I know there was one I listened to a long time ago that you did by yourself. It's hard when you're just by yourself because there is no one to bounce off of. 
and sometimes trying to come back from a segment, like whether it's like a trailer drop or, you know, you played a music song or something that initial coming back, I must hit re-record over and over at least a dozen times, sometimes trying to get the right wording. So it sounds like it's natural, even though I've probably just sworn every word in the book for the last <laughs> 15 minutes, you know? Um, right. Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you're, uh, it's almost like not only are you a podcaster, but you're like a, a, a radio personality coming back in from a, you know, a song to try to get back into the conversation of whatever you were doing beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I think that, uh, particular episode you were talking about where I was by myself I think I did there were there were a few of them but one of the ones I did was I basically picked my top 10 favorite tracks from superhero films that's uh, it in the last yeah and I just that that's pretty easy because basically yeah. all you have to do is say a few words and then go right into the song but if I had to do an hour of myself just talking I don't know if I could necessarily do that it's a struggle sometimes. And speaking of that episode you did where it was like, I think it was your top five or your top 10. I can't remember for sure, but I know you did. It was superhero songs that actually inspired my Halloween episode that I did for bats, bows and books where I did like my top 10 favorite, like Halloween horror related songs by like musical artists. Your episode was what inspired that. Cause I was like, wow, I never thought of doing that before. And it was kind of like my first foray foray into um, like doing like radio hosting, like for a radio show, like for music or whatever, which was always a dream of mine when I was younger. And I never knew that years later, the internet and computers would allow me to start my own shows. It's yeah, it's very easy to do that now, right? You don't yeah. need a studio. You don't need necessarily need a studio or you know a radio station to hire you. I mean, it'd be nice to get paid to do this, but at the yeah. same time, you know, hobbies cost money. So, eh, but you know what? We we do something we love. Labor of love. That's exactly, what I was say. Yeah. exactly. And one thing about and I can say this on behalf of almost every single podcaster, we have something to say and this allows us to do it. Gives us a voice. Yeah, exactly. And it's a lot easier than typing out like super long essay posts on Facebook or, or yeah, blogging. And, and <laughs> exactly. Whatnot. Although, Although I, do, I do love to do that, too, occasionally. I, I usually would do like like uh, creative writings for blogging. I wasn't always so much in like voicing opinions and whatnot, but I would do like creative stuff and post it for people and eh, each to their own. Right. So absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, quickly, you know what, let's, as as I already did one podcast today, I've already recorded one. This is my second one today. And on the other podcast, we did something. I'm going to do it here as well. Let's get it out of the way because it's probably the biggest topic being spoken about worldwide. I know this is a horror podcast, but in my podcast, my rules, um, Infinity War. Spo- yes. Spoiler, yes. spoiler free. We'll, we'll okay, keep the good, spoilers good. out. Yep. Yep. What were your thoughts? Overall, I think it was just an epic, epic film. I think it was a, a beautiful piece of art. Like I, I kind of mentioned it on my Facebook page, and I think on the Free Your Geek page on Facebook too after you know a culmination of 10 years of getting to know these characters and just seeing them grow and and all the hardships they had to face and the challenges they had to overcome getting to this point and now you have like this this big bad for lack of better term and i use that because i typically use that as a joss whedon term and since our subject matter cabin in the woods i'm trying to thread it all together here but the big bad mm-hmm. that came down as thanos is just 
just the threat he he kind of symbolizes and becomes and just to see where these characters go and again spoiler free i i there were moments of, of total laughter because Marvel does have their humor in it. Oh, yes. But then there was there were some moments where I was absolutely heartbroken and I was holding my breath. Um, and it's just it's interesting. It's like the culmination of a 10 year journey to get to this point. Mm-hmm. And where do we go from here without giving anything away? Exactly. Well, I guess we'll find out. We'll find out next year, you know. Well, we I mean, we obviously know we have two more films this year coming out with Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Captain Marvel. Um, yep. I believe that's this year, right? Or is, uh, or is that 2019? That's 2019. So Marvel okay. does. Uh, Marvel, I believe, does it in three. So it was Ragnarok this year. Um, then it was uh, Infinity War. And then it's going to be Ant-Man and Wasp. And then the following year, um, it's going to be. There's Captain uh, Marvel. The... Captain Marvel. I believe it's um, Infinity or the, the fourth Avengers movie. Yeah. And then they're going to be doing Spider-Man Homecoming 2. Okay. Okay. And then 2020, I think Guardians is the first one in 2020. Guardians three. Yeah, yeah. But um, and you you kind of touched up on it as well. Yeah, ten years. This has been slowly crafted into a, a a giant story. And when you think about it, going all the way back to that first Iron Man film, you know, through Captain America, Hulk. Uh, Thor, and then into the Avengers and whatnot. I think I might have the order wrong, but um, you get the point. What I'm trying to say is when we got that first Avengers film, and I mean, we every single one of us had our minds blown. We were like, wow, they pulled this off. To think that so many years later, the, the cast, the ensemble cast has grown <laughs> exponentially. Um, and you, I, I, I can't even keep track of how many actual characters were in this uh, uh, well over 30 or 40 like main be- star, main star characters yeah i believe it was over 40 yeah and you beautifully gave each of them their their due screen time made everything stick from the moment that film starts like right when the marvel logo is coming on the film is already starting right up all the way to the last second, you're completely captivated. And they did it, like, there's no down period in this movie. Like, even the slow points are not technically slow. They're just setting up what's coming next. Like, you never stop being interested. You never you never stop being engaged. And I was saying um, with Ben earlier when we recorded uh, DC Primetime today, you almost wonder, was this the plan 10 or 12 years ago when they started doing Iron Man? Like, where did this plan start? And if so, it was 12 years ago. Like, to see that, you know, after 10 years of films, this is what we got. Like, it, it, was, a per- it, it was a perfect 10 right off the bat. Um, but more so, what really stuck out for me was the fact that I finally had a film in the Marvel Universe question my love for winter winter soldier because to this point winter soldier has been my favorite yep i i would i would agree with that uh, and that's yeah. i think it's to you to your question at the the jump street here like how how do i how i enjoy the movie i'd put it definitely in the top three mm-hmm. i don't know how it compares to winter soldier between winter soldier and i want to kind of edge in civil war there too and and it's no surprise that the top three infinity war winter soldier 
and, and Civil War are all by the Russo brothers. And you talked yes. about how uh, they gave, you know, even from from uh, Winter Soldier to when they did Civil War, each character with with you can make the argument for Ant-Man, but each character really got their moment to shine. I mean, Ant-Man mm-hmm. had his, you know, big moment during Civil War. But yeah, same thing with Infinity War. Every character there had a decent amount of screen time and got a piece to talk about, you know, their character or got to extrapolate even more on their character growth from where we've seen them last time. Mm-hmm. And and that's I think that's just a credit to to the Russo brothers for being able to juggle all those characters. It's, it's oh, really quite incredible. It is. It really is. And probably with the exception of the three you mentioned, the other one I would probably throw in there is Guardians of the Galaxy which I remember going way back to when that film was first announced, scratching my head thinking, why the hell would I want to see this? And it became my second favorite Marvel film. After yeah. after me sitting there for a year or two of knowing this movie was coming out, going, why do I care? Aside from Rocket Raccoon, why do I care? And I fell in love with those characters. Yeah, and- I, I mean... I still hold to this day that Drax is one of my favorite Marvel characters. Uh, I want like a book of quotes Marvel. from him. Yeah, he's, and again, I, I won't go into spoilers, but he, to me, he had the funniest line mm-hmm. in Infinity War. Uh, he, and it just cracked yeah. me up. And that was the thing, too. We're eventually going to get off Infinity War, people, don't worry. But um, <laughs> this was one film, like, and I've seen almost virtually no complaints about this film. I've seen the odd comment online or whatever but for the most part the the love is real for this movie um but the fact that they took a film that with no spoilers here it is one of the more darker ones and you still threw some humor in there that didn't feel forced the humor was fun it alleviated some of the tension and then we went back on with the story and Everything was so perfectly woven together. Like, and yes, the, a lot of that credit has to go to the Russo brothers, which, again, like you said, they've, they, they put together Winter Soldier and Civil War, which were two outstanding films. These guys, they get the Marvel Universe. They really do. And now to tie it into this week's movie uh, for What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero... This all started, well, not technically started, but in terms of the Avengers, it started with Joss Whedon. And this week's movie has a lot to do with Joss Whedon. And basically, I'm going to do the quick rundown, and then you and I, we can just go nuts talking about this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, let me just get my notes up here. Okay. So, Cabin in the Woods, released April 13th, 2012. Which I hadn't realized it was actually that old till I was doing my notes today. Uh, directed by Drew Goddard, this was his directorial debut, uh, at least for um, like big screen. I don't know about TV. I didn't actually look into that. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, offline, uh, he's uh, he's had his hand in the TV universe as, uh, as well with Joss. Uh, the uh, film was produced by Joss Whedon, John Swallow, Jason Clark, and Lucas Hill. Written by Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard. There's two great names put together in one. Uh, The music was done by David Julian. And the special effects for this film, uh, and this I only found out today. I 
which I almost felt ashamed that I didn't know this. The special effects, the monster costumes, special makeup, uh, the prosthetics for the film were all done by Heather Langenkamp, who uh, most people know from the Nightmare on Elm Street film. She was... uh, she played the role of Nancy and her husband in real life, not not, not in Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, her husband, David Leroy Anderson, uh, and their company, AFX Studios, were responsible for almost all of the special effects in this film. I, so I, I wanted to make note of that because being a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan, that meant a lot to me. Um, the film was distributed by Lionsgate, which if you listened to my last week's episode, yeah, I kind of told Lionsgate to fuck off, but... For this film, we'll let it go. Okay, starring... uh, This is where I had some fun. I've kind of written side notes to some of the cast members. Starring Kristen Connolly. She played Dana in this. Uh, Thor is in this film. Chris Hemsworth. But uh, I call him Thor. So if I I make mention of Thor throughout the podcast, that's who I'm talking about. Uh, Anna Hutchison was in this. Uh, Fran... Kranz, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. He plays Marty in the film. Uh, he was also in another Joss Whedon production, uh, Dollhouse, which I know a little bit about, but I really didn't follow that show. It's one I probably should go back and watch eventually. Um, Jesse Williams is in this. Uh, Richard Jenkins, one of my two favorite characters in this film. Uh, he was also in, just recently, he was in Kong, Skull Island, and The Shape of Water which The Shape of Water, I don't know if you saw that, but that is an excellent, excellent uh, Del Toro film. Uh, let's see, Bradley Bradley Whitford, which I remember him all the way back from Adventures in Babysitting. Brian White was in this film. Amy Acker from Angel was in this film. And Tom Lank from Buffy the Vampire Slayer was in this film. Um, there were some small cameos by other uh, actors in this film, uh, specifically the few that I wrote down. Adrian Holmes who has been in uh, Arrow and Elysium, um, and Terry Chen, who uh, recently was in uh, Jessica Jones Season 2. He was in this. uh, I can't say this guy's last name for the life of me, but Patrick uh, uh, Sabongwi or something. He plays the captain um, uh, for CCPD in The Flash. (laughs) I can't pronounce his last name. I'm sorry if he hears this. He won't, but whatever. Um... And just recently, because we were talking Infinity War, uh, Terry Notary was in this film. Uh, in Avengers Infinity War, he plays Cull Obsidian, and he was also the, uh, the uh, I guess you'd call him like sort of like the stand-in for Groot. He was the, um, like when they were filming it, he was kind of like the person that was there to take place of Groot. And then, of course, they put the CGI over top of it and whatnot. And finally, the one I saved for last, because... Even though she has such a small role, my hero from the 80s, Sigourney Weaver, is in this. She plays the director, which, um, yeah, I just spoiled that. If you haven't figured it out by now, we're spoiling shit in this episode. So, um, But yeah, Sigourney Weaver, uh, I remember when I saw this film for the first time, and all of a sudden I heard her voice. You don't even see her right away. You just hear her voice. And I must have like cheered as loud as I could. I love everything this woman has done. Uh, everything from Ghostbusters, Alien, Aliens, okay, Alien Resurrection, eh, it's a hard one to watch. But it's fun. ironically, it's a Whedon film, and he worked with Sigourney Weaver. So again, does another film, brings in an actor he likes working with. So, uh, okay, let's see. So the synopsis for this, um, 
most people know it already, but I'm going to say it. Anyways, synopsis is five teenagers head off for a weekend at a secluded cabin in the woods. They arrive to find that they are quite isolated with no means of communication with the outside world. When the cellar door flings itself open, they of course go down to investigate, because that's what you do in a horror film. They find an odd assortment of relics and curios, but when one of the women, Dana, reads from a book, she awakens a family of deadly zombie killers. However, there's far more going on than meets the eye. And I love how just in that alone, like, you have um, j- just throwbacks to, like, films like Cabin Fever, Friday the 13th, Evil Dead. Um, Joss Whedon put a lot of detail and care into this. Uh, Drew Goddard did as well. I think that's a, a lot of the charm to this film is how much detail they put into uh, giving nods to other properties while at the same time this ends up by the time the film is done being a very original film the budget for this was 30 million it grossed 66.5 million so it made its money back uh ratings what people thought of the film whatnot imdb has it at 7 out of 10 i think that's a little low uh my opinion anyways rotten tomatoes have it at 95 percent fresh another week where i don't tell rotten tomatoes to fuck off that's good uh, movie phone has it at 72%. Again, seems kind of low, whatever. Uh, but Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. So that's pretty good because Re- Ebert can be pretty harsh on horror films. And so for him to give it a three out of four was pretty good. Uh, so basically to tie up all the rundown and whatnot, uh, this movie did win uh, several awards, including awards from the Fangoria, Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. British Fantasy Awards, and it won a Saturn Awards for Best Horror Film. So that's that. That's the rundown. Um, Now we're actually going to have a nice little conversation here in the segment called The Blood, the Gore, and the Fugly. And basically it's uh, open season. We're going to talk about whatever we can. Uh, I've talked long enough, so I'm going to let you start. And uh, Okay. Yeah, let me let me jump right in. Um, yeah. So we, we meet, uh, we we start. If I if I recall this, I watched this literally yesterday. But we start with the uh, two guys basically talking about uh, baby proofing uh, the cabinets. Yeah. And I, you know, typical Whedon fashion with just like some, you know, uh, a lot of like uh, verbose, just back and forth. It's very dialogue heavy. Yep. But it's it's quippy and and you know it's typical Whedon fashion. Um. And I, and, you know. I, First time watching it, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Exactly. I don't understand this. Like, what? Yeah. Why are we? And then it goes right into the like the you know the 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 title comes up, you know, a cabin in the woods, and I'm like, how is this even describing anything? Mm-hmm. You know. So I thought that was kind of cool. It was different. Um, to your point that you were mentioning when you were were introducing the film, um, you know, from my notes as well, I did I did see that uh, they kind of used it as an attempt, uh, basically to be almost like a satirical, if yes. you will, on on the 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 horror genre or, or what it's turned into as far as like, you know, the, the, they, I believe they use torture porn as uh, mm-hmm. the terminology and it's kind of like almost tongue in cheek, uh, a view on that and like a tongue in cheek view on the slasher film. So it, it, it's a very, to me, it's a very meta film in the sense that it's while still like, you know, traditionally like a slasher, mm-hmm. they, it's, it's I, the best way for me to, if it, to kind of describe it 
it's it's part slasher, part Truman Show, if you will. Okay. Um, without giving too much away, because it's it's all you know. And again, spoilers. I know we're gonna get to the end of the movie right now, but everything is being controlled by you know the, this team that's below mm-hmm. the cabin in the woods. Um, A so team that like they place bets on the winners and everything right. too. Like they they it. Okay, my first point, and you've already said it, but my first point that I wrote down was beautifully satirical with a cool original twist. Yeah, I would agree with that. Exactly. And I love the way that, and this is typical of Joss Whedon's style, like, and you mentioned it as well. We open up, we've got the two office guys. I don't even think I was 10 10 seconds into this movie going, what the fuck? Am I watching the right film? Like, what does this have to do with Cabin in the Woods? And then, okay, so like naturally my thought process is, oh, maybe these two guys go out in the Cabin in the Woods. But I'm like, wait a minute. No, it's supposed to be college kids. I love the fact that he threw the audience for a loop before the film even had a chance to start. And then goes into it after, like you said, the title screen comes up. And now we see these college kids. It's like, okay, but what was that at the beginning? And... Like you said, like, yeah, like the whole thing is being controlled. What I loved about that and the reason why I, I, I wanted to hit this b- before we move further, because you said how everything's controlled. I loved how they use this film to explain the stupid things people do in films and acted like it's because of them controlling it. If you know what I mean, like, like the characters are about to go down the wrong door. So oh, we'll put this pheromone through the vents. Right. Or, or yeah, uh, again, not to get jump all over, but uh, mm-hmm. Chris Hemsworth's character and the his girlfriend and then they're, they're running through the woods and then, you know, they decide to have sex. And it's mm-hmm. just like it's being controlled by like the pheromones right, or, or right. to your point. It's just it almost makes it kind of like, you know, to your point. OK, here's the dumb decisions that any normal person, if you there's, you know, you hear a noise or something coming from the basement or or whatever, and you're already being like haunted or, or something's already after you. You don't let, you know, curiosity killed the cat. You don't go down mm-hmm. to that basement when you hear a noise, you know, right. or there's a killer in the house. You don't run up to the top floor. Exactly. To try to evade. You go out the door and you run, you know, so it kind of like it kind of posits that and it kind of pivots to, mm-hmm. to how those decisions get made. It's not really in the hands. It's not really free will, if you will. Right. It's, it's controlled by by the people down in the, down in the, the bunker, if you will. Mm-hmm. I noticed even when I'm watching it, like there's no dialogue that feels like it's like hammy or like, you know, that you're kind of like, wow, they could have wrote that better. Like everything, even though it, it, it's a, a, a satirical film, there's nothing where you're sitting there going, okay, that didn't fit right. Like everything seems like it fit like a nice piece piece in the puzzle, if you know what I mean. Like as the movie's like progressing. Yeah, the only the only thing I would argue with that point with is, and again, I'm by no means, and I should I should mention this off the top, I am by no means a connoisseur of. Uh, I don't have as much horror film knowledge, obviously, as the the host of this wonderful podcast. But I, I do want to uh, kind of mention, like, I noticed, and I don't know if this is by design. I'm assuming it's by design mm-hmm. for, you know, any of the other movies that I kind of grew up with, you know, slasher films like A Scream or, you know, I Know What You Did Last Summer. That's like when I was like my early teenage years. Okay. So that's when I was kind of like that's that was my first introduction, if you will, to the horror genre as those those type of films. Mm-hmm. You know, you really kind of 
have, you know, for example, just Nev Campbell's character in Scream. You flesh that character out a little bit. You have a lot of backstory. Right. All the way these characters are introduced, they're just more like archetypes, which, again, is part of the satire, I believe. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Toward the end of the film, and we'll get. Oh, there. it was it's totally intentional. You know, like there's there's no background. There's no like it's just like yep. This is this one's this is the studious one. This is the the party the girl. This is the yeah. And this is yep. the 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 you know the stoner and and that's mm-hmm. it. You know, and it's just that's you just accept it. And yeah, uh, yeah I thought it was interesting. Um, and again, I don't want to jump too much too far around here, but um, one of the things that I want to take issue with, and I think they they touch upon this in the film. Um, from the director uh, of uh, in the movie. Um, so uh, Dana's character just got out of a relationship with her professor, I believe they say at the top of the film, and she's heartbroken and, and whatnot. And I believe uh, Jules is the one to, to put it a little bit more crass. You know, you know, he he basically sleeps with you and then he, he dumps you type of thing. Right. Um, but she's also the virgin that needs to be, you know, Again, spoiler alert, getting to the end of the film, she's the virgin that needs to be saved. And I believe the director says we work with what we got. Yeah. You know, so I think I think, again, it's just one of those things where even the parameters of what they're trying to accomplish doesn't fit based on their own set of rules. So they're just winging it from from their end. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's actually interesting that you mentioned Scream because Scream at the time it came out was somewhat similar to this, but different. I mean, obviously, it was more of a slasher where this is kind of a, like the in-the-woods kind of story. But Scream, when Wes Craven created that, he was trying to do the same thing that this film is trying to do, is that it takes those typical horror tropes, makes fun of them, and then by the end of the film, though, you still had a really good original story that you were engaged in. Um, with the Scream stories, like you said, like they really flushed out uh, Nev Campbell's uh, character, which why it's not coming to me, I can't remember the S- name. I think her name is Sydney. Thank you, Sydney Prescott. That's it. Thank you. Um, they really flushed that out. As a matter of fact, they flushed it out into four films. Scream is uh, Scream was probably like a, the '90s version of what this kind of was, in the fact that you know, for especially coming off the '80s, the '80s that was like slasher heaven. You had everything from Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Pieces, uh, Maniac, Madman. The list goes on and on and on. There were so many bloody slashers in the 80s. So Scream comes along and says, okay, we're going to take all those movies you love. We're going to make fun of those horror tropes. And at the same time, oh, here's a good story to go with it as well. In the 90s, especially once, I I, want to say it was Blair Witch that kind of really put the whole out in the woods um, stories back on the map. Because, I mean, in, in the 80s and in the 70s, you had, like, Evil Dead and Don't Go in the Woods Alone and stuff like that. But Blair Witch was the one that kind of, in the 90s, said, oh, hey, remember these? Well, we're going to kind of put a twist on it, and we're going to do that it's, like, found footage and all this other shit, which, personally, I'm not a Blair Witch Project fan, but it was huge. It was huge for its time, and I'll, I'll give it that credit. I took I kind of take a look at this as being the satire to that. Again, also with nods to Evil Dead, Friday the 13th. Hell, we even have there's the one um, the puzzle sphere that you see in the basement, uh, and then later on we see like a, a character that looks somewhat like a Cenobite holding that sphere, and I was like, oh, that was a nice nod to Hellraiser. Um, 
but yeah, like when you mentioned Scream, I was like, well, Scream was kind of like the 90s version of what Cabin in the Woods would be in the 2000s in that it's a satire with, you know, those typical horror tropes. We make fun of them. And then, oh, at the by the way, by the end of this film, here's this whole story you didn't see coming as well. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point, too, I just think it's it's part part of it that I think Whedon, Whedon having his hands on this and, and taking that satirical look at it is I think it's kind of like kismet for the for both him and uh, Drew Goddard to, to have this film and to work on this film, like you said, to kind of tie it into the 90s version of being Scream. I, I didn't think of that prior like that. You kind of reminded me of that. And it's mm-hmm. true because then you had. um I can't think of the the actor or the character's name in Scream, but the one that knew all the rules to... Oh, Jamie uh, Kennedy's character. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. just like, you know, and you can kind of draw parallels to uh, to uh, him and, what is it, Marty? Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, in this film, and I think... Uh, yeah, because Marty spends most of the film dissecting everything that's going on, going, wait, this isn't right, this isn't right. And, yeah, it's actually really good. I didn't even catch that myself, so... Nice yeah, and, so it's nice, a, nice analogy. <laughs> it's yeah, there's there's definitely parallels, and you know, again, mm-hmm. uh, to to your point too, you were talking about the different uh, uh, different types of films, the horror genre taking place in the woods, and it just kind of popped in my mind while we were talking about this. But you know, in this movie, you know, they basically go to a, his cousin's cabin, and you know, cabin for a vacation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it as you were talking about, you know, running through the woods and, and just like having the Blair Witch style. And I think that actually is is from a, a tone perspective, just in the whole genre itself, it's it's one of those things because it's it's an unknown location. You know, you can talk yeah. a lot about like horror genre, like, you know, if it's like, for example, Scream when when Sydney or Drew Barrymore's character is at her house and she's being tormented there. But to me, it's a little bit scarier when it's like you don't know the terrain. You know, these characters don't know the terrain, so they don't necessarily know how to navigate through right, these particular right. areas. And it, it actually makes it like, you know, a little bit more dangerous in a way because you don't have that comfort of knowing which rooms or, or whatnot that you have at your disposal to hide in or, you know, to, to try to defend yourself or whatever the case might be. Right. Well, yeah. And especially when like the five kids show up at that cabin, they're like just discovering the cabin for the first time. And like the one, the, the brainy kid, so to speak, discovers that he's got a a two way mirror and he can watch the girl on the other side, take her clothes off, which he stops her, which that in itself was kind of shocking because in most horror films, the guy wouldn't stop the girl. (laughs) So uh, even that, like, you know, constantly putting little twists on things and, you know, they actually had like the honest character. It's like, well, that doesn't happen often. Usually the honest character is the virgin in the show. Right. Well, I kind of liked it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so it was kind of cool just to see that even though they were giving us the typical, the jock, the virgin, the whore, so to speak, uh, the smart kid and the, the party kid, they still were changing them up just a little bit to kind of throw us like so it wasn't something that we're just sitting there going, oh, yeah, I've seen this before kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like they kept it fresh. They kept it new. Well, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. But going back to that scene, because that's what popped in my head was, while I was thinking about it, too, while you were talking is, yeah, you first see that that grotesque painting. Yes. You know what I mean? So that's the thing that kind of already weirds you out. You take it off and then you're like, it looks like it's a window. But then you realize that uh, Dana doesn't see. Mm-hmm. back in so it's it's a it's a you know a two-way mirror 
and uh, for him to actually stop her from undressing. He 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 thinks about it though for a second. He does go back and he's like, yeah, he does, he does. And then he offers it again, being like a stand-up guy. He offers to switch rooms, and that to me is kind of like the Joss Whedon thing too about you know putting the putting the female lead kind mm-hmm. of in the position of power because then she's watching him take his shirt off and then she's you know becoming a little enthralled with yes. this potential love interest and it it kind of like flips it on its head to your point where it would have been normally you know it would have shown the girl getting naked in any other typical slasher or horror film mm-hmm. they kind of flip it on its head a little bit and then make the guy the object of uh objectivity for or or the object of affection if you will Mm -hmm. on more of a physical level than the female yeah no definitely definitely i don't know about you uh for myself personally when i watch movies i have a tendency to really pay attention to musical scores and i really enjoyed the score of this film which is why i had mentioned the uh composer at the beginning of the the rundown and whatnot because it seemed like there was like Best way, I, and this is kind of like my weird notes writing when I when I watching stuff. I wrote it basically felt almost Batman-ish at times, with elements of '70s horror film scores reminiscent of, say, like The Shining or The Omen. And at the same time, while it's doing all that, it's helping to set the atmosphere for the film, which I really found that, like, the, especially like. There were certain, um, I don't want to say sounds, but like certain um, cues, I think is the better word I'm thinking of, that really helped set up the suspense, the humor, the even like like some of the battles, like when, when they basically let like all the doors open and all the creatures come flying out and stuff. The music really works well in this film, and that was something that like, really impressed me i i it's odd for me to say this is actually one of the films i don't have the soundtrack for which i might have to uh, correct that after we're done recording this but yeah like i noticed it especially this morning when i was doing my rewatch i wanted to pay attention to certain details musical score really stood out for me in, in this one um on top of everything else whether it be the twist the humor uh, some of the special effects and whatnot. The music score definitely stood out for me in this one. Well, I think it's when you can have all those elements, like you said, both the humor, the visual, and and mm-hmm. the sounds kind of all tie together pretty well. I think that just enhances a film because you can see a good you can see a good movie and the soundtrack can be shit or the score mm-hmm. can be shit, and it's still a decent movie. But if you have everything working together. And just, you know, and to your point, and it kind of accentuates the different scenes that you're watching and it enhances that viewing pleasure of it or, mm-hmm. or the entertainment aspect of it. I think it's absolutely great. Now, I was listening to your podcast, your podcast from last week, I believe, where you were discussing A Quiet Place. Yes. And that to me is a, a typical like, again, to have a, a movie with very little sound in it. Mm-hmm. Or just like have those moments of silence where it's 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 again that setting the mood and putting you in that universe mm-hmm. to 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 kind of get that feeling. It, to me, it's the same thing. Um, and I don't know if you've talked about this on a previous podcast, but Paranormal Activity was another one of my favorite, uh, more recent, if you want to call it that, even though it's been a while. Mm-hmm. One of my more recent horror, you know, supernatural 
movies. And, and I think because of the quietness when you're, you're watching the camera and you just see that door creak a little bit or mm-hmm. whatnot, that adds so much to the suspense and so much to the anxiety you're feeling as a viewer, or at least for me it does. I, I think it just, you know, enhances the movie, you know, tenfold at that yeah. point. Um, a Quiet Place, to kind of jump back to that just quickly, that was an interesting film for the fact that the lack of sound was almost its own cast like member. Like it was its, uh, its own character in the film. And I, I'll be honest, I haven't seen that very much in many films. Um, as a matter of fact, being that I pay attention to musical scores a lot, I think that was one thing that really grabbed me with that movie was the fact that there were so many times it was dead silent and i'm like you had like okay one of one of the things that i i remember and i saw this in a documentary like going back like a good 10 20 years ago there was uh, an interview with john carpenter where he was saying that when he test screened the original halloween the 1978 halloween when he test screened it and it didn't have any music he said people watched it they seemed like Eh, okay, it was kind of scary, but nothing, you know, fanatical or whatever. Like, n- nobody went screaming out of the theaters. Nobody did anything. And he said then when he saw it for the first time on the premiere night, it now had the score. And he said the interesting thing was nobody was covering their eyes. They were covering their ears. And I always find it so interesting how much, whether it be music or lack of sound or... um sound effects even it doesn't have to be necessarily music or lack of music it sound effects sometimes how much the sense of sound can really help to complement a film and i that was kind of why i brought up about the musical score was because i noticed how much it really helped to complement the story for uh cabin in the woods it, it let you it, it almost like kind of told the story in its own way of letting you know, OK, this is kind of a humorous point. This is a scary point. This is a, you know, oh, it's not really important either way. It's kind of more the character development, which there was not very much of in this film, but uh, we had the odd moments. It's kind of funny that and I, I didn't even realize I actually did this, but like last week having that the lack of sound was one of the biggest points that I noticed where this week it's the sound I'm noticing. That was one of the biggest points that stood out for me. So I just thought I'd. Kind yeah, of no. And, and that. that's and that's great, because, again, to tie it back to Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon's done a couple episodes of Buffy where he hasn't had any sound in it. Hush or hush. And then the body. Yes. There was no music in the body. And the, those are two of the most powerful scenes of are two of the most powerful episodes, in my opinion, anyway, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hush is super creepy with the gentleman mm-hmm. and then the score not making any sound. And then the fact that there's no music whatsoever as, you know, Buffy discovers her, her mother's body. And it's just very, very quiet and very it's almost like a surreal moment as opposed to a creepy moment. And and Whedon can handle both of those with the score. And then mm-hmm. again, you talk about Buffy. He also had a musical episode once more with feeling. Oh, yeah. Basically, it was like almost all music. So it's mm-hmm. I think he, he can he can handle or he can juggle, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other. And this is no different. You know, not that he's saying, he, you know, he I don't know how much of a, a say he had in the score, but I think he knows you know, he, he's a good it's a good litmus test for him to know how uh, how to score a particular film or or a show. Well, and it's also the fact of knowing who to get like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I know it was Christoph Beck who did the score for the whole thing. And I believe he did Angel as well. I, I'm almost positive he did both shows. Um, 
and the Buffy score, there was some of the most best pieces of music I had ever heard come out of that. Um, some of the themes that, uh, well, Hush alone, Hush had some of the greatest themes, and which was interesting because, like you said, it was an episode with no dialogue. At least, well, I think, what, near the end, they finally could talk when they defeated the gentleman and whatnot. Yeah. But, but, I mean, for the most, for, a, I'd say, what, 38 minutes out of the 42, there was no speaking in that. Um, and it's interesting because he he's not, a lot of people will point out how Joss Whedon is very visionary. He He has a good vision of what he wants to do, but he's also very good with audio. You know, and again, like I was saying, like that, it's pointed out in this film. Um, he didn't technically write the music score, but he got the right guy to do it. If you know what I mean, um, it's like it's like a coach. It's like a coach picking out players. If you want to have a right. successful team, you need to you need to be able to build your team to have you know. So it's it's just knowing where your weaknesses are or where your strengths are, and then knowing who to fill into those gaps of the, the that section you know that you you have the need for. So yeah, if you're looking for a good you know score or, or something that's going to make the, enhance the movie Whedon has kind of almost like I'm assuming some type of Rolodex or he's got enough clout to say I want this person or you know this person might kind of align with the vision that we have mm-hmm. for well uh, and, think, and like we pointed out earlier like look at the cast members yeah how, how many actors do you see that he constantly has come back and come back and come back and or he's worked with again maybe not so much that he brought them in but there are certain actors that he's constantly worked with and has set up like, you know, a reputation for them and himself. You know what I mean? Um, and he definitely knows what he wants to do. Um, and, and he knows what he's doing. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I, you know, Whedon has his critics on both ends, but oh yeah, I, I, I think, I think for, for his track record, so to speak, I think it's it's a pretty damn good track record for like his his knowledge and his style and just his talent to again find the right actors to find the right crew to find the right you know score to do all of that. I mm-hmm. think it's it, it takes you like you said a, he's a visionary in that aspect and I, I think he doesn't get enough credit sometimes for that. No, and and it's true what you say. Like I I see it myself. You know, there's always these people that are like like the whole Justice League debacle when. Um, uh, Snyder was removed from uh, the the project because of his family problems, like not problems, but you know what I mean. Like he had family issues come up, he had to tend to, so he left the Justice League project and Joss took over. And I saw quite a bit of hate towards Joss, and it's like you know what? Because of Joss Whedon, Danny Elfman was brought in, and that Batman theme showed up again. So you yeah. know what? But and it's also <laughs> and not, not that I want to harp too much on that, but it's it's mm. it's you're talking two different conflicting styles between Snyder. Exactly. And and so it's kind of like, okay, well, this is what we've done so far. Like, how do you kind of merge? You know, you've already set the tone with man of steel and Batman versus Superman. And then now you're putting Whedon who typically does a little bit more of the light stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's tough, but yeah, to your point though, I just, I think, you know, as far as the score goes within this particular movie, cabin in the woods, I think it's, uh, it definitely enhances, enhances the the film itself and i don't want to jump around too much but you mentioned the uh the theme song or the theme that was playing when all the monsters show up mm-hmm. i actually i actually took a screenshot of the movie i was watching it on my ipad and i took a screenshot of the movie of the dry erase board with all the potential as you were mentioning the people in the office taking bets okay 
And have you, I don't know if you if you've seen some of the uh, the different creatures that they had listed here. No, but, I actually uh, didn't. I'm, I'm gonna just I'm gonna just uh, start rattling off a bunch. Uh, werewolf, alien mm-hmm. beast, mutants, wraiths, zombies, reptilius, clowns, witches, sexy witches, demons. <laughs> Uh, Hell Lord, which I think is kind of uh, like a Hellraiser type thing, yep. or their version of it. Angry molesting tree, <laughs> giant. <laughs> Dude, this is all all when uh, I uh, I can't remember which which uh, character it was. I don't know if it's uh, Hadley or the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, she's when he's standing when they're talking about, and it shows all the different uh, divisions that are which ones they put their bets on. Okay, but it's uh, giant snake, deadites, Kevin, just a random Kevin. Mm. Uh, mummy, the bride, that's the left side. Then there's the scarecrow folk, snowman, dragon bat, vampires, dismemberment goblins, sugar <laughs> plum fairy, oh, merman, geez. the reanimated unicorn, uh, wendigo, and then some of these are blocked. Uh, jack o' lantern, giant twins, the redneck torture family, which you know, mm. uh, and that, that one's funny because it has you know maintenance, and then under it in a red marker, it says Ronald the intern. Um, oh, jeez. Just it's it's kind of like these are all the different teams that are or the divisions that are betting on them, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like the little things that went in, and then I actually found a website that listed all of the uh, the different uh, creatures that appeared in it that you actually saw, right? And you know how they could have their ties, and and they're similar to some of the other uh, killers or or creatures from the other horror genres, almost paying paying like an homage to to those other films. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought that was kind of pretty cool. Um, all in all, again, kind of like just, you know, as a satirical look on those other films itself. I like that. They called it hell Lord because in the Hellraiser, well, it's called the Hellbound heart, but in the original book for that property, uh, he wasn't known as pinhead. He was the hell priest. So I think I, I, I kind of like that. They called him hell Lord and deadites is exactly what, the creatures were called in the Evil Dead. They probably had some agreement. Of course, I think Joss is actually friends with Sam Raimi, so there may have been some agreement made there. Well, you're right, because I'm looking at this other list now. Um, you know, uh, some of these are pointing out, like, for example, uh, the Angry Molesting Tree uh, is another reference oh, to Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Because in the first one, the girl's uh, basically <clears throat> raped by the tree. Right. <laughs> Uh, so you know, there's there's some there's some good ones out here. Uh, yeah, I was just reading like what these could be a reference to. Uh, mm-hmm. The the Huron uh, bet on by R and D. It's apparently a reference to the myths created by colonists about Native American scalpers. Okay. Like there's just like some crazy, crazy different uh, ideas. And the doctors, there's a doctors a bet on by accounting. Creepy idea. Apparently a reference to House on Haunted Hill. Oh, nice. Nice. So yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of different creatures there. I can I can send you this link if you want to. I don't know if you you include stuff on show notes or whatnot, but I can I can send you this link that that. Uh, oh, I'd love to check it stuff. out. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, not gonna send, lie. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like I haven't. I I've paid a lot of attention to this film, but I haven't looked into every back detail on it. Like I there's a making of on my Blu-ray, which I always find hilarious because when it starts off, it's Joss. And they're standing basically in the middle of a snow blizzard. And he's talking about how in the film, these kids are going away on a summer week when they're going to be out in bikinis in the hot. And he's standing wearing like what us Canadians call a toque. 
Um, <laughs> you guys call them beanies, I think. Yeah. Uh, he's like wearing his toque and he's got his winter coat on and everything. And he's in the middle of a blizzard. And I always love the fact that even his documentaries, he starts off with a twist. I find that stuff just amusing. Um, but in terms of like the creatures and whatnot, I didn't actually catch the the whiteboard. So I mean, I know it's there, but I didn't actually think to read everything that was on it. Yeah, I so. just, I just sent you the link, uh, you know, uh, so you can check that out at your leisure. But I think it's, oh, I think thanks. it's pretty cool. Definitely pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, that's gonna be uh, definitely something I'm gonna like reading because, like I said, like I know some of the backstories and whatnot, but I didn't catch every detail. Which makes me sound like a really bad podcaster, but oh well. Who cares? Well, no, you you went you went pretty in depth on the on the score, so I, I think yeah. I'll give you a pass. You know, as as your right. guest, I'm gonna say you get a pass because because you know you you put a lot of I know you you you're like I am when I do my show is I have pages and pages of notes depending on what yeah. we're gonna be talking. So it's tough to include everything. So it's just uh, it's fun. Like yeah, I started doing my homework on this. Just uh, I watched it yesterday, mm-hmm. and just to kind of brush up because I probably saw it like two two and a half years ago the last time i saw it um, i saw it about a year ago i i know i i've seen it at least once more in the, the i'd say the past year but the problem with me is like there's constantly new movies coming out and there's like my dvd and blu-ray collection is growing like at a very fast rate and it's actually there's times where i'm buying stuff and i can't keep up with what i'm buying like it's like, oh, I have this to watch. I have that to watch. And I, so, I have this Blu-ray that I bought six months ago. I'm finally going to open it and watch yeah, it now. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I don't know. I, I mean, it, to me, to me though, that's a good problem to have, being uh, you know, a fan of, of the genre that yeah. you are. Like, you know, if you're collecting all that, it just means, you know, there's, there's plenty of interest still there and there's plenty of things to digest. And you can probably mm-hmm. do, you know, when, when I uh, hear uh, episode 1000 of your podcast and you're, you're finally touching on these other DVDs now, I yeah. think it'll be great. That's I what I, to... that's what I love about doing podcasting. Like is the fact that it gives me a chance to watch a lot of new movies and watch some old ones again and talk about them and whatnot. Like that's why like this horror podcast was the one that I, I knew I wanted to do. I knew it's, it's been something I wanted to do for a long time. And I was glad that Ben and, you know, next level uh, radio gave me that chance to finally do it. So yeah, like, and not not to suck up to the to the to the to Ben and to the network, but like you know, just checking out their website. There's a ton of great shows mm-hmm. on, on this on uh, Next Level. Uh, I'm very interested. Um, I know I know it was mentioned last week on the uh, Quiet Place podcast, but they're doing a Lost uh, retrospective. Yes, and and Lost is my absolute favorite television show of all time. So, and again, to link it back to Cabin in the Woods. Uh, Drew Goddard wrote a bunch of episodes, yes. not only Angel and Buffy, but also Lost, which is, you know, I'm a fan of his work, which is why I, when we were discussing, you know, having me on and which movies I was familiar with, this one was mm. kind of at the top of my list just because I, I thoroughly enjoy this movie. Yeah, no, definitely. And when you and I had that discussion, I remember like seeing the films you had and it was between this and the Friday the 13th remake, I was like, which one do I want to do more? But the Friday the 13th remake, as much as, it, and I don't hate it, but I knew I would be tearing some parts of it apart. Where I wanted to just do a movie like where I just love and feel positive about because that's primarily what this podcast is, is me trying to put like a more positive spin on things and not be so negative because 
I'll tell you, with the internet, it's real easy to be negative. Oh, I agree. I agree. You know, and I, I actually, um, there was something I kind of wanted to mention about that. You were talking about uh, last week again, not to keep harping back on that. Oh, that's but, fine. Uh, that's fine. You, you, uh, you mentioned that. You know, you. I believe it was you or it was Ben that mentioned that. Uh, you know, when these movies come out, they, they were talking about a potential sequel, and you were just like. Why, you know, why, why do we need a sequel? Why do we need, so mm-hmm. I guess my, my, my concern, not to go off too much of a tangent, but what do you feel about all these remakes that they're doing? Be, because I mean, to me, it's, it's going to be kind of tough in a sense. I mean, you can take bits and pieces like Cabin in the Woods, as we've already kind of discussed today. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, part scream, if you will, almost like it takes the same satirical look at it, but it does its own thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always a big, I'm a big, uh, fan of like creativity and and i i like watching different movies creative movies that are different from anything that i've seen before which is why i think i kind of gravitated specifically to cabin in the woods itself Mm. but i mean from all these remakes because they've done you know tons of uh you know remakes from friday the 13th to uh nightmare on elm street to the evil dead to you know all these different other films I'm, i'm waiting for them to do a child's play you know a reboot, if you will. Um, you know, that I, I don't know. I just want I was curious how you feel about like remaking movies after, after, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Okay. So here's my thing with remakes. Um, if you're remaking a film that is 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, I have no problems with it because by this point, the film, the original film probably has a cult following but at the same time, it would probably be nice to see that story retold. When you are remaking something like A Nightmare on Elm Street, which came out, if I remember correctly, the remake for that came out five years after they had just done Freddy vs. Jason. Now, you're, you're coming out and you're, first of all, those movies are still very fresh with the fans. And, I mean, especially with a franchise like Nightmare on Elm Street, Robert Englund is extremely loved as Freddy Krueger. You were trying to recreate this. You were trying to do something new, put your new spin on it and whatnot. Fans are not going to appreciate it because it's too fresh. And I believe even Robert Englund himself even said, I'll tell you where it failed. It failed because it came out too soon. And he's exactly right. You take Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead, the original came out in 1968. We didn't get another version of that till 1990, when Tom Savini basically took on the the um, the film and said, you know, with George A. Romero's blessing, I want to recreate this, and it was beautiful. That that remake, while in in my opinion is not as good as the original, still stands fucking tall. It is such a great film. And then you take a film like Dawn of the Dead. Yes, I know not everyone likes. Um, uh, Fuck, what the fuck? What the hell is his first name? Snyder. Zack Snyder. Yeah. Total blank out for a moment there. Um, not everyone likes Zack Snyder, and that's fine. Whatever. I personally, I like certain films he's done, some of them more than others. Watchmen is a fucking great movie. Absolutely. And, and I do love his Dawn of the Dead. Is it as good as the original? No, I'm very partial to the original. I've gr- I don't know a, a world without that original film. But 
he let it sit like the it it was allowed to sit for a while. The original came out in seventy eight. His came out in two thousand four. I want to say, again, when you allow that time period to pass, coming out with a remake is not going to piss off people as much. When you're remaking like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first original remake, as much as it wasn't something I liked was okay because the original came out in 74 and then you were doing this like decades later. That's fine. But now you're trying to make a franchise off of it. Now you're trying to change the story too much. It, it, it basically, it, I guess it goes from property to property, but I, I honestly believe if you want a, a, a remake to be successful, you have to allow that period of time to pass. Uh, we are uh, right now the uh, one of the big dis, uh, big topics is the Suspiria remake, which again is another film. I am absolutely 100% partial to the original. I can't see that I will like this remake better than the original. It's probably not going to happen. But they've allowed for so many years to pass on that with a remake coming out, I'm at least open to it. If you were talking about them, I don't know. Okay, so A Quiet Place was just announced this week, actually. It's getting a sequel. And both me and Ben will tell you, we're like, no, why? Don't do this. A Quiet Place was a beautiful film that stood all on its own. I'm not going to spoil anything um, because we did that last week. And for anyone who didn't want to hear spoilers, I'm going to... Not spoil anything this week, but there's a reason why me and Ben both felt that, you know what, let this stand on its own. Emily Blunt herself said the same thing. Let it stand on its own. Um, John Krasinski felt he would like a sequel, but he was just happy he got to do his first film. (laughs) Sequels are different for me in the fact that it, it, it really matters on how you go about it. Um... Like, in, in a world where, like, comic book films, sequels I don't mind because you can always tell a different comic book story. Most of the comic book characters we see today on the screen have been around for 60-plus years, some of them almost 80 years. Um, there is more than enough story to tell there. You can do lots with it. Go nuts. I don't care. Make your franchises. Um, but in horror... If you're going to do a sequel, it's got to be done right. Um, One that I was really impressed with, uh, Strangers Pray at Night. Again, inferior to the original, but it still did what it needed to do. It hit its marks. It it was bigger. It was, you know, more flashier. There was more death and whatnot. And it made air supply relevant again, which that made me laugh. (laughs) Sequels, I usually tend to approach films and sequels case by case with a quiet place. I liked how it started and I liked how it ended kind of in the middle of the whole story. So let the viewer figure out how it originally started and originally ended. Leave it up to the imagination. That was one of the things I used to love about the seventies horror films, uh, primarily like Texas chainsaw massacre and whatnot, where they didn't put all the blood and gore in your face. They allowed you to let your own imagination run wild, which usually scared the shit out of you more than what it would have actually looked like on the screen. Right. I, I guess all in all, what I'm what I'm basically trying to round all this to, because I'm kind of going all over the place with it, but basically 
how I feel about remakes and sequels. I'm not a fan of them unless I feel it. There is a bigger story to be told, but in the horror genre, we're seeing it too much. And it's what like saw going into their ninth uh, sequel now. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Enough's enough. Let it sit for a while now. Like Friday the 13th, as much as there's too many sequels, at least each of them brought something new to the table. I mean, at one point, Friday the 13th Part 5, it's not even Jason. Friday the 13th, the original, it's not Jason. So you have two films doing something different right off the bat. And each of those sequels, as much as they're campy, they're ridiculous, and, you know, it's stupid people doing stupid things and Jason killing them for it, <laughs> uh, there was always something new to it. You had Jason takes Manhattan, Jason X out in space. Like, I mean, they, they, they had fun with it. And you knew what you got. Uh, for the most part, I am not a fan of sequels. There are obviously franchises I love. The Halloween franchise, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, whatnot. But for the most part, if if I could just see a horror film come and go with no sequel, no remake, and just let it sit for a while, I think that would actually make me a lot happier. So that's kind of where I stand on it, if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was all over the place, I know. So, <laughs> well, I just, I just kind of liken it to me, as, as I mentioned a little earlier, you know, in the podcast. I'm by no means um, as informed with all these different horror movies as, as you are, as it's not, you know, my forte. Right. But um, one of the things I, what kind of got me back into the horror genre years and years ago was the remake of uh, The Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. So I've ne- I'd never seen the original and I really enjoyed, uh, you know, the remake of it. And then once I found out, hey, this is a remake, it made me interested to go back, which I have yet to do. But I want to watch the original. Um, but to your point, I the sequel is absolute shit to me, mm. in my opinion. I didn't like the sequel at all to the to the remake. But then if you get something like a, a paranormal activity, you know, if you, as long as you don't like bleed it out to the saw levels, like the first one was good, the second one was good, and, and I was I was pretty content with that. I don't think you need to mm. go much further than that. But I think what happens is, you know, the studios just see the dollar signs, and it's kind of like let's sell out the you know our vision to to make more money. Right, and you make a very good point. That is one thing I will say in favor of remakes. There are some remakes that are so good they almost draw the audience to go back and watch the original that I do like that is one thing I I have actually um, enjoyed about some of these um, like the remakes for example like uh, like Hills Have Eyes that's a that's a very good one to point out because unless you are a hardcore horror fan there's a lot of people that have not seen that film having the remake kind of drew them to go back and see that original Wes Craven film um, and probably gave them nightmares too. But uh, yeah, like the remakes are not always a bad thing. I just find that especially in, in the, well, the horror genre has been kind of smartening up. They're getting a bit better with this now, but for a long time there and, and, to tie it in with Cabin in the Woods, the whole torture porn thing. We were making movies so gory and so bloody that that wasn't the essence of what made that film great. A a very good example is Rob Zombie's Halloween. Mm -hmm. I don't hate it, but it's not high on my list of favorites either. And for the fact that the original, 
yeah, there was some blood, there was some guts, there was some TNA and all that fun stuff, but that wasn't what made the movie scary. What made the movie scary was the atmosphere. It was the not knowing why he's doing this, that absence of knowledge of what's driving this person. For 15 years, he sat in an insane asylum just plotting, and then he gets out and he's going after a babysitter who's watching some kids and he's going after her friends. And why was he granted in the sequel? They, uh, you know, alerted us to the fact that, Oh, well, Laurie Strode was his sister. Now, apparently in this new movie coming out this year, even that's being ixnade. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But, um, the beauty to Halloween was the, like I said earlier, the music, People were covering their ears. They weren't covering their eyes because the screen wasn't giving them something that made them sick to their stomach or made them, you know, like sit there and go, oh, that's, you know, that's hideous. That's gross or whatever. I find that for a while there, especially in in the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, it seemed like we were going for like the absolute grossest effect we could think of just to gross people out. Human Centipede is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. Let's let's, you know. We'll, we'll put three people, stitch their mouths to each other's asses together. That alone was, you know, fucked up enough as it was. But then we're going to have a scene where a guy shits in the other one's mouth. Okay, right. now, now you're getting a little ridiculous here. And in, in terms of the remakes and the sequels and whatnot and the reboots, I found that, like, a lot of them were trying to go for the more visual aspect instead of allowing the audience to just be freaked out by their own imagination. Because I'll tell you, some of the movies that actually have gotten to me, it's been based on my own imagination. It's me fucking with myself. It's not so much the movie. I'm the one sitting there going, oh, if, you know, I, I don't want to think about, like, that happening. You know what I mean? That said, I do love my body horror as well. Like, you know, <laughs> a, a, a good movie like Hellraiser or Martyrs. Right. Those are films that, yes, I absolutely enjoy the shit out of them. Absolutely. Well, no, I think I think to your point, though, what the where the genre is and I don't even think it's the horror genre. Like if we can just use, you know, you want to talk about sequels. Let's talk about just like uh, pop culture movies, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think from music to movies, I, I one of my favorite comedies from when I was growing up and I was younger was Dumb and Dumber. But oh, now yes. you, you put out Dumb and Dumber, too. And to watch, you know, 50 or 60 something year old dudes try to do the mm -hmm. same humor that they did, you know, 30 or 20, 25 years ago, yeah. it doesn't have the same gravitas. It doesn't have the same effect. And it's kind of like anything. If you look at like even how the comedy genre has changed with movies, even from, you know, the early 2000s with, mm -hmm. you know, like Pineapple Express, 40-Year-Old Virgin, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, all like the Apatow style. Now it's that that whole type of humor isn't even done in movies anymore. No. It's, it's, it's continually changed. And I think... Once you see those classic, uh, the, the way a movie is written or, or like even from a comedy standpoint, if they go like, again, Ghostbusters is another one. I know they're changing for the times, mm -hmm. but I, I think I think in that sense is like once you have something that kind of like harkens back to like, oh, this is the type of style of this genre that I enjoy, mm -hmm. then I'll be OK. You know, I'm more apt to watch that type of movie. And I think it's it's kind of ebb and flow or, 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 you know, kind of like a cyclical, if you will, mm -hmm. where we'll get back to that point. But I think for a time, it's like this is what's popular. Saw took off. Saw became like this huge franchise, 
you know, based off like whatever they made, I think they made it for like peanuts back in the day and it, it did pretty, it did pretty well. And so it's like, okay, well this is the route everybody needs to go because we think that's what people want to see where it's not that. Cause again, going back to paranormal activity, I had, I saw that in the theater and people were complaining that it just wasn't scary enough and there was no jump scares or, you know, and I'm like, no, they're building up the suspense. You can't be like, in my mind, you know, this is the type of story they're building up to those final scenes of that movie. Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't be all like, you know, oh, my God, I have to cover my eyes every, you know, three or four minutes just to, to right. be scared. It has to build that suspense. And yes. that's the way the movie was written. And I don't I, I think that that was lost on a number of people. Same thing. I heard people complaining uh, when I saw It Follows in the theater. And that's another movie I love, mm-hmm. you know, and they're just like, this is not scary. This is stupid. It's a stupid concept. And I'm like, try to get above just what you think a horror movie should be. It's yes. a different type of story. And it still has the 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 elements of the horror genre, but it's trying to do it in a different way, and it's different. Just because it's not cookie cutter doesn't mean it's bad. Get Out is another uh, prime example of that. Yes. And, and the yep. Shape of Water. Shape of Water yep. is technically a horror film, as, as Ben said last week. It's a prelude to uh, Abe Sapien in Hell uh, Hellboy. But <laughs> which, after he said that, I was like, you know, he could be onto something. But those are two films that, you know, are are, are done. Differently, the the idea of horror doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be blood and guts. Um, with one, The Shape of Water, you had the creature feature, and yep. with um, Get Out, it, it I guess I it kind of look at it as sort of like a Stepford Wives kind of idea um, mm-hmm. to the to the story, and yep. those are two. If you think about them in in a real life aspect, those are two pretty horrific things that could be witnessed by the human eye. That, oh, absolutely. That don't necessarily have to mean that someone lost a finger for it. You know what I mean? Like, and and especially in in horror, horror it has so many subdivisions. It's even hard for me to keep track of them all. It can be so many different things. It can be anything from paranormal, supernatural, uh, creature feature, you know, Universal Studio monsters, uh, psychological body horror, sci-fi horror, like, and I'm barely even scratching the surface. Horror doesn't necessarily mean that it's just, you know, stabby, stabby, watch people die. Right. And, and you ready, you ready for this segue, Paul? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, we have, and that was the kind of like the, the format for the horror genre, which again, coming full circle, that's why I love Cabin in the Woods, because it takes those, those tropes, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, and it kind of like, again, kind of makes it a little satirical about it because there is a little bit of gore. Uh, when Jules is killed initially, she's the first one killed, mm-hmm. has her head chopped off and they toss it to Dana. And it's, you know, again, uh, pretty realistic looking, um, yep. you know, for the special effects and whatnot. And I was just, okay, that, you know, and then at the end when all the monsters get out and they just start ripping through all the different, uh, you know, people in the laboratory and all that, and they start just chewing through them. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, really, really gory, really, really bloody, but it's done in like a, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just done in it's a different way. It's not like torture porn in the sense that it's like one person and it's a, a sadistic killer that's getting pleasure out of it. It's like almost animalistic, you know what I mean? Like right, nature, right. if you will, because mm-hmm. they have these, it's almost like having animals captured and then you let them out of their cage yeah and then they're doing what animals do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, 
Well, I, I just want to mention, I, I do, I know there was, might've been some confusion earlier when I mentioned like the Truman show. Have mm. you seen the Truman show with Jim Carrey? Uh, that's the one where he's, he's basically an act. He's in this reality TV show and they control all the environment. I have not him. seen it completely, but I've seen most of it. Like I always seem like I turn it on like at different times in the movie and I'm like, okay, I'll keep watching. Um, but I can't say that I've watched it straight through yet. Well, the reason I mentioned it is because I don't know if you ever saw the scene. And again, spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't seen this part of the movie, but he's trying to escape and he takes a sailboat out. Yes. And he ends up crashing into the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 backdrop, because it's it only looks like at the horizon. It's actually a big dome. And right. that's what happened with the death of uh, Chris Hemsworth's yes. character. Yes. Like he he crashed into a wall. And that's what made me think of the Truman Show that and and the uh, the the laboratory guys create a cave in when they're trying to escape via the RV. And yeah. they're like, the cave-in should have happened already. There was a glitch or whatever the case might be. And to me, like, I just, I, I enjoyed that because it just reminded me, again, it's different from the 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 horror genre. Like, you know, these these characters we're rooting for have, you know, bad luck or, or something happens. They fall down the stairs. They hurt their leg. They get stabbed or whatever. And now they're limping through the woods or wherever where they're getting mm-hmm. chased by the killer. This is just, you know, it's, it's uh, controlled chaos that's happening and done for them where they do not have free will. They're being put into this situation where they're being, uh, you know, positioned to die. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, again, I don't know if you want to jump to the end of the movie and, and talk about the spoiler, or if you had anything else to add, but, uh, you know, um, that, cause that to me was like the turning point as well. Like what, why, why the reason for all this, uh, control was needed. And it came out of left field to me. Like they, they built up to it throughout the movie with the people in the laboratory and the director and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I just I thoroughly enjoyed the revelation on why well, I, this whole thing was being put into place. I no, thought it was interesting because in a way they were taking the idea of you know the five um, the five characteristics that you would have as you know your teenagers in the film and actually giving them a purpose. Other than right. just to be uh, a wasted kill or, you know, a part of the body count. Oh, well, wait a minute. Not only do they, you know, not only do they add to the body count, but there's a reason for it. It's because we've got these gods that we have to please. And, you know, I kind of took it as almost like they were referring to the audience as being the gods. Because, oh, that's cool. yeah. because when you approach a horror film, why, why do most of us go to slasher films? We want to watch people die. Not in real life, but it's that escape of, oh, we know that Jason or, you know, Michael Myers or whoever is going to go and they're going to kill the certain group of kids. And you'll be left with the final girl, who in this case was Dana, although Marty survived. So, oh, wait, now you've just thrown the equation off. So now they got to figure out a way to kill Marty or else the gods will be upset. Hence being the audience. You screw up the formula and all of a sudden the audience are on the internet bitching about it. Um, so I kind of took it. That's how I approached it anyways, was that, you know, the big hand of the God at the end is the audience saying, you did this wrong. Now we're going to slam you for it. <laughs> um, of course, like I said earlier when I was talking about like the cameos and whatnot, what a better person to have be the quote-unquote director than Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. And I, I like how you mentioned, you know, as she's giving her her little speech about whatnot, is that Marty has to die because 
either the virgin has to die last or has to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like how throughout the film, the the uh, the two gentlemen sitting, you know, the two office guys are talking about Japan, how they like uh, the USA always comes in at number two mm-hmm. and they're always behind Japan and like the Japan uh, situation failed. And, it, they, you know, they, yeah. they basically mentioned how it differs from culture to culture based on what it is. So the the J- uh, Japanese side of it were all like nine year old girls. And I, again, not being familiar with it, but I don't know if from the horror standpoint, from the, the Japanese viewpoint on horror films, if that's more of the realm of what their horror films are like, as opposed to, you know, our, our side, you know, the North American side of horror films. Well, what I thought was actually interesting, you mentioned about the Japanese girls, um, like films like uh, The Ring and The Grudge, they were based off of original Japanese properties. Right. Yep. Uh, the Japanese way of like what their students look like in the little school dresses and whatnot. Um, I actually had read someone wrote online, they're like, uh, so you're trying to tell me that this is the way the the movie's supposed to go. Well, then who was the slut? Who was the jock? Who was the blah, 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 blah in the Japanese, um, school, like the Japanese horror film. But anyone who's paid attention to Japanese horror knows that they don't follow that formula when doing <clears throat> their movies. I'm sure there are some that have done that, but there it's the reason why films like The Ring and The Grudge were so accepted over here was the fact that it was something completely different. They don't follow that formula when doing their horror films. They do things differently. And so I thought that was interesting when they showed that the Japanese uh, team failed and they were showing you all the little schoolgirls in their, uh, in their um, uniforms and whatnot, how they customized it to look like something that would be from a Japanese horror film. And the American has the, um, like the the characteristics of the college students as we would perceive them in North American culture, and you, you make a good point because how would the French uh, horror film look, and how would the Australian horror film look like, and how would the New Zealand horror film look like? Because each each part of the world has their different way of doing horror, and not like a, a perfect example like uh, New Zealand did Deathgasm. And Deathgasm focused on a lot of the metalhead stereotypes. Um, and then, like, uh, French French horror, uh, like, movies like High Tension and Martyrs are very visual. They're, they're very, um, they're blunt. They're in your face. They, they kick you in the gut as you're watching those movies. Um, so if we had seen, you know, the French trying to... Uh, appease the horror gods what would that look like in their country i love the fact that when they did the japanese they they customized it to look like what japanese horror would look like as opposed to north american instead of taking the north american formula for slasher films and applying it to the japanese Uh, again another point where joss whedon and drew goddard paid like very close attention to the details well they actually mentioned it in the movie at some point i'm not sure if it's the director or one of the guys at the office but they were talking about how you know japan or i think it was maybe maybe it was when the director was talking or, or i forget or maybe it was some uh some dialogue between maybe uh, the the uh, security guy or maybe Amy Acker's character. Okay. I can't remember who, but they actually mentioned they're like, yeah, it's different in 
you know, every every country. It's just we this is our version of it. As long as it reaches it, it doesn't matter how it happens as long as the you know, it, it's it doesn't matter the scenario it's placed in. It's it's the scenario that's based on our culture and it can happen as long as the end result's the same and somebody dies or that's the last person to die. It doesn't matter how it does it. They give us kind of like free reign to, to yeah. do it in our cult. And I just thought that was kind of cool. It's like a it, some people see it as a cop out. But I, again, to your point, it's it's very smart for them to do it. In exactly. The, in the, the way that like each each, um, you know, different uh culture would have their own horror genre and i think that's that's fantastic no exactly and i think like more so the reason why i was bringing that point up was i did see like a few comments online of people saying well uh you know like i said like the one comment i read where the guy was trying to say okay so you have a bunch of nine-year-olds in school uniforms which one is the slut which one is the jock which one is this and that and it's like but you you missed the point on that in that each part of the world has their different version of of what they consider horror. Seeing the Japanese the way we did made sense because that's what Japanese horror would, you know, at the time, that's what it looked like. Yeah, like, I actually kind of forgot that they mentioned that in the film, but, um, but well, yeah. Yeah, like, that just goes uh, to show that that person did not, you know, pay attention because to me... <clears throat> like again, certain people go to the horror genre or horror movies just to see the gore or mm. or the killing or what else. But again, it's a story, you know. Yeah. And, and to me, that's that's the thing that they're giving you plot points. And it, as we talked, the, the character development was purpose purposefully uh, left out of this particular film. However, the storyline, if you you kind of listen to you know, the different characters talking, they, they spell mm -hmm. out exactly what's happening. You just have to put two and two together. And, and that's the thing also, again, and you, you mentioned this like way back at the beginning of the, of the discussion that, um, you know, very much uh, dialogue driven uh, when, when, you know, when you're dealing with a Joss Whedon property. And again, that's one of those things where maybe you didn't catch it right away, but they're basically telling and explaining the film as it's going along through all that quippy dialogue that Joss Whedon is so well known for. I myself, I love uh, foreign horror. I love watching like horror from all around the world because I, I love seeing what it looks like and what they consider to be scary because they also base a lot of their films off of their culture and their... Um... Ah, shit, what's the word I'm thinking of? You have like a little bit of a brain freeze. Yeah. Um, well, uh, they're well, they're customs. They're customs. Yeah. They're uh, like their their history and whatnot. Certain parts are very much into Norse mythology, or you know, like um, North American. We're very much into our religion or our science and like stuff like that. Um, so, like, I guess culture actually was the right word, and I just you know I thought I was looking for another word, but um, I, I I enjoy watching horror from uh, Italian horror is another one as well. Um, because I like seeing how their culture influences their films. There's so many like different pieces of this. And we were talking about, uh, Whedon too, just in general. And I don't want to go back to Buffy, but, um, one of the things that just popped into my head too, while we were talking about like, you know, the different cultures and of the different, uh, you know, different countries and stuff. Uh, did you notice, uh, did, did you get the feeling that this was more of a uh, was it more of a privately held company doing this or do you think it was more like government based? Um, there's actually I'm trying to remember. It seems to me there's actually a point in the movie where 
Um, there's that one security guard there that, uh, you know, he's kind of like, you know, he wouldn't join in on the bets and whatnot. I can't remember his name in the film, but um, he says to the one uh, the the one office guy is like he calls him sir. And he says, uh, look, we're not the military. You can drop the sir bit. Um, so I don't think they were government based. I do kind of get the feeling that it's a private company. At least that's how I kind of looked at it. But then again, I wouldn't put it past any government to well, be that cynical either. <laughs> well, it just it just reminded me kind of again from season four of Buffy, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you're as familiar with that, but it's the same season with the us, initiative with the initiative and just having yes. you know they basically capture the vampires and other creatures mm-hmm. and they basically make them kind of uh, docile and they they yeah. you know put chips in them and and stop them from attacking mm-hmm. and almost and keep them like as in in cages and it kind of reminded me of that the way they had all these different creatures and these different pods and then whichever one the uh, main characters happen to summon, that's mm-hmm. the one they released into the the area with the cabin in the woods. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was that was like, like a cool um, parallel to Buffy there as well. So that just oh, popped definitely. into my brain as well. Yeah, exactly. And 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 at the end of the movie, you know, with with both Marty and Dana surviving toward the end, and then uh, one of the I don't know if it, I I don't know if it was Hadley or Citizen, uh, I think it was their names. Yes. Uh, one of them like said, you have to kill Marty. They went up to the director. The director started fighting Marty. Uh, Dana almost actually did it. She had like a, yep. a, a kind of like a will she or won't she type of, uh, for lack of a better term, come to Jesus meeting. She had to make a decision mm-hmm. and uh, whether to kill to save humanity. And then when she decides that she's not going to, she basically decides, you know what? Humanity's fucked up. Let somebody else take over. Let mm-hmm. somebody else have the earth now. Humanity's screwed. And she just decides to go out with her friends smoking a blunt. I yep. thought it was hilarious. I thought yep. it was like, you know, that's a great viewpoint. Like if this is if this is the type of life we have to live where you have to put us you have to put human beings through these trials to appease this otherworldly God. You know what? It's not worth the fight. Exactly. And it's 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 a cool it's a cool you know, it's it's different from the typical genre as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we saw that turned on its head, you know, usually the killer or there's there's a sole survivor at the end. And they go on with their life. How are they going to get on with their life? And then, you know, if there is a sequel, the killer comes back to haunt them or, you know, uh, case in point. Or it has the other side of it, like like a paranormal activity, which, again, leads to a sequel based on this entity is still continuing on. Um, this we kind of got like there is no continuing on because the world comes to an end and nobody yeah. survives. And it's it's different from the stereotypical horror movie. Yep. No. And I totally agree with you. I am curious though, out of scale of one to ten, where would you rate this? Uh, okay, so I'd give it. I'd give it. Do you do you do uh, strictly whole numbers, or can I put like a percentage in there, like a? Oh, you can do. I just kind of. I do between one and ten. You can do whatever you want. Like, would I be able to do like an eight point five, or is that kind of outside the rules? Would it have to be an eight or a nine? Oh no no no! Go ahead. Eight point five works for I'd, me. I'd say I'd say eight point five again. Uh, from a satirical standpoint, I really, really do enjoy it. Um, and again, I, I knew, I know what Whedon was doing, you know, with a lot of this, uh, with Whedon and, and Drew were doing with th- this movie. I just, you know, again, with the the, the no backstory to the characters, it kind of uh, took me, I, I understand, again, why they did it. But to me, without having the backstory for those characters, it's kind of tough for me to cheer them on. But I guess that's kind of the point is. Yeah you know it's you can't cheer them on because when they when the time comes they get when they make the decision you're not as 
like let down, I guess, for lack of, or disappointed that they didn't survive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I thought, I thought that there, it did a great blend of, uh, humor. I thought there was some humorous parts to it. I think there were the, the tropes were pretty much adhered to, um, you know, and it was as the typical teenagers that get themselves in trouble, but it was almost like self-aware at that point. So, yep. you know, I, I think for me though, the reason I'm giving it an 8.5 is for, for me to feel like it's a truly like a horror movie. I need to be a little bit more scared, if you will. Like I need to feel more suspense and more yeah. anguish, you know? So I, I didn't get that as much because it was so satirical. So that's why I can't really go full Monty on it, but I'd give it an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm a, I'm about the same as you. I gave it an 8 out of 10. I found it to be very intelligent. I found it to be very uh, clever uh, in its uh, satire. Uh, the uh, picking on the horror tropes uh, definitely did some interesting twists with it. I mean, uh, right up to the last point where even like the final girl is not the final girl. It's the final girl and the final guy, you know, and you don't see that very often. Um and I, I, as I've mentioned before, a great use of music. I thought the music was absolutely wonderful in this. I like the nods to all the different horror films that I grew up with. And I started a lot earlier than you. I, my first horror film, I was four years old. So uh, not not by my parents' choice. I kind of snuck. But um, yeah, The Night of the Living Dead was the first film I ever watched in my life. Like, first horror film I ever saw. And then after that was Dracula, and from that point on, it was, you know, off to the races I went. I've always kind of had sort of that, you know, dark side to me, whatever. But, I don't know, I guess it makes me lovable. I don't know. But, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, what, uh, whatever. That's good stuff. That's good yeah. stuff. Well, I mean, it's, you know, to each their own. Like, I have yeah. a couple other buddies that are very much into the horror genre, and they're some of the, like, the sweetest people you ever meet. They're just really, yep. really nice people, and it's just, it's just a type of genre of film. It's like it's nothing else than a type of music you like. You know, I, yeah. I for one, I'm not a country music fan. Neither but am I. I. You know, it's one of those, like, if I have friends that love country, and they go to all the different concerts when they come to the area, and it's just... Mm. You know, hey, like whatever floats your boat, it doesn't affect who you are as a person, but it's just something you enjoy exactly. listening to. This is just more of a of a genre you would enjoy from the film aspect. And whether it's for the uh, whether it's for the gore, whether it's for the suspense or the horror mm-hmm. or the anticipation or just the enjoyment of being scared. You know, some people enjoy that, the adrenaline of that. And that that's that's cool. Yeah. Sometimes I just like watching a horror film just for the fact that, you know, and this is kind of like a, a maybe a weird way to approach it, but there are certain days when I've either had like the roughest, shittiest day in, well, night at work because I work nights, or, you know, I've just had like a bad fucking week and I'm like, you know what? I want to feel better about myself. So I watch a really, like, I'll watch a horror film. So I watch other people suffer and then I say, well, at least I'm not them. Um, I, I, <laughs> I know it's a, it's a shitty way to look at it, but you know what? Sometimes it works because you realize, you know, life could be a lot worse and I'm not that guy. So and I mean, also on top of everything else, like I I just love, you know, good stories that, you know, kind of like will creep me or spook me out or whatever. Or, you know, I like watching sometimes I like watching a lot of gore because I want to sit there and go, I wonder how they did that. You know what I mean? Because I know it's not real. So it's and I mean, above all else, um. The, uh, one of the things that I always say, and I've said this a couple times even on this podcast, is that at the end of the day, every movie that's come out, whether it's shitty or not, someone tried. 
someone made, took a chance. Someone made something to entertain us. I think a lot of the times people go into these movies and they're ready to criticize everything. And there's so much hate on the internet these days and people wanting to, they're ready to tear a movie apart. And I think sometimes we forget the fact that, you know what, just let it entertain you. It doesn't have to make sense. Sometimes it can be the most stupid of plot lines ever, but it's just an escape for an hour or two, or in the case of Lord of the Rings four, um, that, you know, just let it, take you away so you can forget your problems for a couple hours because when the movie's done you're back to reality you know what I mean and I, I always try to even as much as uh, and, and and anyone who's listened to this podcast knows I cannot stand Alien Covenant that was one of the biggest disappointments I ever saw in a theater but I will acknowledge one thing about that film somebody tried now whether it worked or not, well, okay, that's each to their own. And there are people that like that film, and I don't knock them for it. If you found something you liked in it, great. But at the end of the day, people tried, and there are people that you know this is their this is their bread and butter. This is what they're living off of. This is their their career, their life choice, and whatnot. And we're we're just lucky we have the idea of moving pictures and cinema to entertain us. So even though I give like I, this movie, I give it an eight out of 10, but to someone else, it might be a nine out of 10. It might be a 10 out of 10. To some people, it might be a three out of 10. Um, it, it all depends on your wheelhouse. It all depends on what you like. And, you know, like you were saying in terms of music, you know, some people like country. I personally can't stand it, but that's me. But then again, I listen to Suicide Commando and there's people who are like, how the fuck do you listen to that shit? Um, <laughs> everyone's each to their own. I I think one thing though, like just to sum this all up, I as much as I might be, you know, some podcasting critic who's sitting here trying to tell you how you, you know, how I feel about a film, I'll never tell you how you should feel about it, but how I feel about it. Um, at the end of the day, I I always at least thank someone for trying. You know what I mean? As much as I might bash a film or love a film, somebody tried, and I give them that credit because as podcasters, we know. We put these things out there. We're trying. We might not always be successful. We're going to have bad episodes. We'll have good episodes. We'll have episodes where it's like we totally went off the rails and nothing made sense. And then we'll have that one episode where it's like, fuck, I am damn proud of this episode. The fact that people are creating is something that is a good thing. And I need, you know, I, I think there's a need to embrace that. And I'm probably making myself sound like I'm some great scholar or whatnot. I'm not. <laughs> I, well, I'm just I'm just a schmuck with a microphone, but I guess basically what I'm just trying to say is is it, you know in in a world where there's so many films and so many remakes and sequels and reboots and original ideas and whatnot, we're just lucky to have these things to entertain us for a while. And I that's one thing I it, as much as I you know I I'm a very cynical and skeptical person, and I do have a dark side where I basically hate a lot of humanity, but I'll say this, we're lucky for the in the times we're living in that we have these movies like A Cabin in the Woods and Infinity War and, you know, uh, Strangers Pray at Night or, you know, The Truman Show that can entertain us and just take us away for a while. And I, that's saying something. 
I don't know what it's saying, but it's saying something. It's saying something it good. You know what I mean? I absolutely agree. I mean, it's just, you know, and to your point really quick, um, no matter who the filmmaker is, it's whether it's a good movie or a bad movie, in your opinion, it's still a piece of art that somebody decided to make and put their name on it mm-hmm. and what it's their vision. So good, bad or indifferent. I can see art or pictures and or I'll say like, this is stupid. I don't like this. But at the same time, it's somebody else's vision. And to me, you know, it's it's in the eye of the beholder, so to speak. Yep. So to your point, just enjoy these films. Don't necessarily have to overthink them all at some time. Mm-hmm. You know, some some movies are just meant to be, you know, popcorn flicks. And some movies are meant to be like very in-depth, like pieces of art that really get you thinking and, and kind of touch you to, you know, deep within your soul. And you have and you run everywhere in between. So just just enjoy it. And mm-hmm. and that's it. Like you said, forget about life for a while. You know, exactly. And on that note, I would like to say thank you, Jeff, for being on this week's episode with me. Um, This went actually really awesome. I really enjoyed talking with you, and I really enjoyed having you on the show. Um, So on behalf of myself, because I'm the only one who runs this damn thing, uh, thank you for being on the show this week. Oh, was, was you're you're awesome. very very welcome. Thanks for having me on. You know, like it's it's nice to be on the other side of this uh, mm-hmm. for the time. Usually, I'm the one that's doing you know a lot of the talking and questioning, and just to be a guest on another show is is absolutely fantastic. And and especially a show like this where we have a great host. Uh, it's funny thank because you. you you and I you're very welcome. You and I have been talking a lot on Facebook. We became Facebook friends, but this is our first actual conversation. Yes, which I, don't I know. know. If you knew about that, which I thought it went pretty well, actually. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, well, and I, that was the thing. Like, I know that even like when you've done Free Your Geek and I've done Bats, Bows, and Books, we've we've talked through Facebook and whatnot, always saying, you know, hey, we should be on each other's show and whatnot. And with uh, what lurks behind Podcast Zero, sometimes it's easy for me to get a guest to join me, and other times it hasn't been. And not that I mind doing podcasts by myself, but I like having that someone to bounce off of. And I don't know. I I just thought, you know what, this would be a perfect opportunity. And that's why I reached out to you about it, because I was like, you know, it's just it's like you said, it's nice for you for once that you get to just, you know, be the guest and enjoy, you know, being on the show and whatnot. And for me, I like actually hosting people. It's something that I want to get more acclimated with and do more of. So. I, I thought it would be a perfect opportunity for both of us. And, you know, it, it's like I said, I really enjoyed this episode. I'm, I'm glad you were able to come on. So same here. Thanks so for having thank me you. on. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And to all my listeners out there, you want to know where to find this podcast. Next Level Radio Network at nextlevelradioonline.com. Uh, as Jeff said, and as I've said many times, there is multiple podcasts on there, all all varying different topics, uh, from comic books to horror movies to interviews with celebrities. There's a whole bunch of great stuff on there, so go check it out. Uh, what Lurks Behind Podcast Zero can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash whatlurksbehindpodcastzero. You can find me on Instagram at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero. On Twitter, which I don't use a lot, but I, it is on there, and you're welcome to follow it. Uh, Twitter at WLBpodcast underscore zero. Uh, letterbox.com is website I do some of my written reviews on. You can find me at letterbox.com slash capital WLB underscore podcast zero. And there's a Redbubble store where I have like different t-shirt designs and whatnot. 
And uh, that's at rebelable.com slash people slash podcast number zero. Don't write the word zero. And that's pretty much where you can find me. Uh, Jeff, I'll let you take over. Where can we find Free Your Geek? Okay, so Free Your Geek streams live. I think we're going to be sticking to Tuesday nights uh, where where we've left our current studio, so we have uh, kind of a makeshift process. We like to call ourselves uh, a pirate podcast now because we're going to different locations, and you never know where we're going to pop up. But we live stream our video uh, at Facebook at Free Your Geek on Facebook. That's F-R-E-E. Y-O-U-R-G-E-E-K. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Free Your Geek. I also have a website called J Free the Geek. That's J-F-R-E-E-T-H-E-G-E-E-K.com. We don't have a Redbubble store yet, but we have a really cool logo that we have for our podcast. I love your logo. Uh, I had a buddy of mine, and my buddy of mine is a graphic designer, and he uh, he designed it. The original intent of the podcast was to be basically whatever you geek out about, whatever that might run, whether it's cars, exercise, crocheting, and then it just took more of a superhero and pop culture turn. So he actually designed like a similar, like a Ninja Turtles logo. But uh, people love it; they they, they want to buy the shirt. Uh, so I'm gonna start making that available on Redbubble soon. Sweet. But uh, check us all out. And, uh, yeah, we, we basically have a mantra, you know, uh, I would like to recommend if people do want to check it out, uh, episode 53 on Facebook. If you go to Facebook, we actually had independent fa- uh, filmmaker, Brian Pollan from morbid vision films, who makes a bunch of independent horror movies. Uh, nice. we had a discussion with him and where he got his start in special effects and he br- pretty much does everything, you know, for, for his, uh, films. We link his, uh, show in there is his website in there. You can see his shorts. Um, so yeah, if, if you're interested, give that a, give that a listen. Uh, our mantra though is, you know, you can agree with us, you can disagree with us, just don't be a dick about it. And you know, to your point, Paul, you know, it's with with this whole thing is, you know, it's a good community to have of all different podcasters, and it's good to support each other and lift each other up. And you know, it's just, it's just fun. It's it's a great community to have and, and different topics and to help promote each other's shows and whatnot. So again, I want to thank you. Um, on behalf of Free Your Geek and my two co-hosts, KB and The Don, we occasionally have some guests on there as well. Uh, we we did definitely want to return the favor and have you on soon once we get all that situated. But, uh, yeah, we want to thank you for having uh, and giving us the opportunity to promote our show on your show. So thank you very much for that oh, opportunity. Anytime, anytime. And uh, on that note, I think we're, uh, we're finally going to wrap this up. So everyone out there, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Jeff, for being a part of the show. And uh, next week, not sure what I'm doing yet. I'll figure that out pretty soon. But um, I wanted to just thank everyone for tuning in this week. And again, like I said, thank you, Jeff, for being part of the show. And on that note, I'm going to say have a good one, everyone.
Joyous hearts away under the 